Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. The crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet. All hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Well, thank you so very, very much. I really appreciate uh, all of that. And welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Skip Dillard. He served 12 years as operations manager, VP of programming for WBLS WLIB in New York. Skip has received numerous honors, including the Top Program Directors in America Award three times. And presently, he's brand manager for recently launched rhythmic, adult, contemporary, and classic hip hop formatted WXBK FM 947 The Block. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that Skip Dillard is what's hot. Hello there, Skip. Thanks. I appreciate it, G. Keith. It's good to be with you this Friday afternoon. Well, my pleasure. Uh, it's uh, always a, a real thrill to have a uh, fellow radio uh, veteran uh, to, to join Harlem America. So uh, why don't we start off at the beginning? Let's take the Wayback Machine and tell me how did Little Skip grow up? <laughs> well, I was born in uh, Jamaica, Queens. Uh, grandparents uh, lived in St. Albans. My parents met in Queens. My dad was, is from North Carolina. And he um, wound up after uh, graduating from Fisk University, going to University of Pittsburgh. And then after University of Pittsburgh, sought his fame and fortune uh, in New York City. So he came up, met my mom in Queens. Um, after, uh, you know, I was born, my sister came shortly after and, and we left and went to North Carolina when I was eight years old, uh, Greensboro to be exact, and, and grew up, you know, just around a music uh, loving family. And I think that what may have uh, Right around 1980, honestly, the mix revolution, the mixing revolution, Grandmaster Flash and, and listening to um, friends and family that come to North Carolina would bring cassettes with them of New York radio. And, and so over the years, um, you know, I remember hearing you on the old KTU tapes, of, <laughs> of course, WRKS. Uh, you know, I was interested in all formats. So when Z100 launched, people brought tapes from there. <laughs> NDW was a rock station. And so I was able to immerse myself in a variety of different styles, uh, DJs, um, spending a lot of summers and, uh, you know, holidays with my aunt and uncle in Northern Virginia. I fell in love with uh, a voice uh, that would be Donnie Simpson. So hearing a lot of people with very different styles. New York radio was totally different what you were doing and Frankie was doing and and others were, were totally different. Carol Ford was one I just was blown away by in terms of her energy. So it was quite different with New York radio and, and New York radio was kind of something that I think everyone aspired to, not just because it was number one market, but you know, every great DJ sought to go there. And I remember it's funny. Um, 
you know, I picked up mixing, you know, at Big Dad for a turntable and, and this <laughs> report card, microphone, the next report card. Right. So eventually, uh, over time, being a teen DJ uh, became my, my side hobby. And I remember winning a, a, a contest at a local AM radio station, WEAL. They were first to play probably rap music in Greensboro. This was going into the mid 80s. And I won a contest to get my mixtape on the air. So I said, well, look, you know, most people don't know what a high bias cassette is. I said, let me give you a high bias cassette quality of the mix I submitted. And, you know, coming to the station, bringing it in, seeing the DJ that I grew up listening to on the air, talking to listeners while I was walking back with the receptionist to hand my tape to the program director. It was like, wow, this is amazing. It was something that really stayed with me. So short time later, keep the story short. Uh, WNAA, North Carolina A&T State University Station in Greensboro. My mom's best friend's daughter actually managed the station. And she said, well, if he's interested in it, if he wants to come by after school, he can sit in. She did afternoon drive as well as program director. And so she would allow me to observe. And so when I went to college, I went to Hampton University. Mm-hmm. Wanted to get away from North Carolina for a little while and, and really focus. And uh, it's funny, I flunked my uh, on-air audition for the campus station. And then someone said, well, we like his attitude, give him another chance. And I was able <laughs> to, uh, to, to get on. But long story short, I think what, what carried me really into radio was being at uh, an HBCU where a lot of the students were from Philly and New York. They had their tapes. So I was able to hear um Colby Cole, who's VP mm-hmm. of programming for Radio One today on Power 99. I was able to hear um, you know, great jocks on DAS like Butterball and and uh, you know, yeah. that really, you know, piqued my my interest hearing more New York tapes. And for the first time, I hadn't really been familiar with it. I heard Chicago house music. This was into the late 80s. So um, hearing a lot of the jocks on WGCI and the old WBMX there was really, uh, you know, mind blowing. And so, you know, I tried to, you know, of course, you try to imitate everybody's styles. Then I, uh, you know, kind of found my own way through coaching from college radio professors and others with some radio experience. Long story short, my my first way in though, I needed an internship senior year and I always tell this to students, tell them to be prepared. So I put a copy of my air check into all of my resumes that I sent, sent to TV stations, sent to radio stations and basically, you know, I just put the tape in there to let people know I was serious about, you know, having majored in media. So Long story short, couldn't get anybody, needed the credits, and I was making calls, no follow-up, and then uh, come back from class, and there's a message several weeks later um, under my door, student, it slipped it under my door from the payphone in the hallway, and it says, Program Director Ron Atkins, W-O-W-Y, Norfolk. Now, this was the number one station in the market. I was stunned because it was the station everyone listened to on campus, and so I <laughs> used, used all of my laundry money called every quarter I had finally got Ron on the phone. He said, Hey, Hey, is this Dillard? I said, yeah. He said, um, listen, I hired this chick. She won't show up for a shift on time. So I fired her behind. You ready <laughs> to start this? He said, can you be here this weekend? I said, um, this weekend. I said, yeah, I said, I'll be there this weekend. I said, uh, so I have the internship. No, I'm in on the air. What do you think? I'll pay. You. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 
Well, I, I came in the next day, filled out the paperwork, and the stage was owned by a small company at the time. It's owned by our today, but back then it was owned by Bishop Willis, big, huge pastor in Norfolk that owned a group of radio stations while was broadcasting. And so I filled out paperwork, stayed up overnight, the quiet storm guy for the next uh, two nights after I came from class. I get in my car, drive 30 minutes, minutes to Norfolk from Hampton. <laughs> and um, that Friday, Saturday morning, while all the students were drinking beer and partying, I was driving in awful for my new 2 to 6 a.m. <laughs> overnight Saturday airship. And, and then you can have told me I wasn't on top of the world. $80 a week for a two every two weeks for a college student was. It was, yeah, 40 bucks a week was out of this world. So <laughs> I, I, thought I, had, I thought I had arrived, man. But um, long story short, that that was my end. And, and I can tell you, G. Keith, one more thing that I, I'll, I'll give you the bike back. But uh, I was funny. I was midway through my college uh, years. And yeah, I heard all the, the great talents, as I told you about. We, you know, we listened to tapes. And I heard this gentleman. I almost said I, I would not go into ready after I heard Jerry Bledsoe. And, really? Uh, it was a tape. And I Jerry said, you know what? I, I have no talent. Let me get out of this now while I can. <laughs> I, I, was, I was ready to leave. So, I, you know, I said, I'm ready to leave this industry. Let me go go into chemistry or something. This is not working. But, uh, you know, thank God, thank God I stayed in. But, you know, hearing, you know, hearing the, the unique uh, voices that all of you had at that time. And, the, you know, music was different in every market. It, it was something that... I think had a profound effect on me and led me to the industry. Wow. Okay. So, hey, that's a fantastic story, Skip. And uh, now let me ask, for those people listening who would like to get into broadcasting uh, in, in some form or fashion, uh, what, what would be the moral of your story? Number one, be prepared. And number two, understand uh, the grind and effort that it takes. Uh, you know, I did not start off as a, a full-time jock or even a program director it would take me several years uh in two two years after graduation to become full-time and uh during that time i was the one that would work super bowl on air nothing special <laughs> no feature show no mix show no ability to play anything i wanted to i'm talking regimented and i'm working super bowl if they needed me uh christmas day uh i was there if they needed me uh, the day after Christmas, I was there. They needed me Thanksgiving. I stayed home Thanksgiving, which I usually never did. I love mama's cooking and grandmama's cooking. I stayed home Thanksgiving and, and spent Thanksgiving evening in the cafeteria at Hampton University, which at that time was atrocious. And, uh, you know, just to work at WOWI so I could make sure that um, by that time it was Steve Crumley. Ron Atkins had gone to New Orleans. Steve Crumley took over and just to make sure that, you know, Steve needed me. I, I was there and I, and, and I showed my passion. The car broke down a couple of times, still caught a ride down there, caught the bus. I was like, I'm getting my air shift in and let these guys know I am serious. Well, you know, uh, what you just described, uh, uh, being available for this show, that show, and doing all the things you had to do, uh, Hal Jackson uh, and, and Frankie Crocker used to tell me back in the day, hey, you have to pay your dues. You know, mm -hmm. you have to pay your dues. So yeah. that's how it starts out for, for, for quite a few of us. You got to pay your dues. So Skip, uh, so then, by, by the way, you mentioned WGCI. I, Frankie and I helped launch WGCI in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, um, now, okay, so you become a full-fledged card-carrying DJ at some point. Okay. Yeah. What was your first full-time shift? Uh, 
I had uh, gone back to Greensboro after Hampton and I tried everything. I was interested in video editing and production. I thought I was the next hype Williams doing hip hop videos that didn't quite come to fruition. <laughs> I tried newspapers because I love to write, uh, you know, young black man at 21. It's kind of hard sell. Um, couldn't even get in obituaries with the Greensboro. There. <laughs> I went to, I tried advertising agencies. Uh, they had no diversity and weren't really interested in anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, bro, there's no mailroom. There's no place you could jump in like if I had been in New York per se. So I said after a while, I said, God, after a year and a half, what the heck happens if I just focus on radio? Because all the opportunities, you know, every time something happened, hey, can you fill in the afternoon guys out? I worked at QMG and then went over to 102 Jams in Greensboro. Both stations are still at the top of the ratings today in their respective demos, same formats and everything. So I would uh, literally, uh, you know, more and more opportunities would keep opening up. And I said, well, God, what happens if I get just serious and really focused? Well, I did. Started getting uh, full-time jocks at the station to give me pointers. Like, look, I ain't trying to take a job. I just want to know what I need to do to be better. And I know you're better and I look to you. And so after a while, I broke down those jealous or, oh, he's 22 and he's going to come in and take my, you know, they, once they realized I was just trying to learn, they were like, okay, cool. So within six months, a mutual friend put me on a three-way and there were some changes in New Orleans. Guy Black was moving to mornings at Hot 105 in Miami and leaving a station that he was number one in mornings by a mile. Mm-hmm. So they're moving all the jocks down to replace Guy. And they said, hey, man, there's a night opening here in New Orleans. And WYLD at that time still is today. It was number one station. At that time, it had 17 shares. Different method of of, of diary and, and rating. So, mm-hmm. you know, the station was, you know, the, the rating share and rating point would never be had today. But it was <laughs> it was like crazy. So, um, you know, I was doing overnights on, on 102 Jams in Greensboro. Sent a tape to Brian Wallace, good friend of mine to this day, a great mentor. And um, I've sent it FedEx and went to bed after getting off the air at 6 a.m., uh, 11 o'clock a.m. Two days later, I woke to the phone ringing. Mom and dad were at work. And, and Brian said, hey, would you be interested in coming to New Orleans? And um, went down. And within two weeks, I was going to a city I'd never uh, I'd been to one time. I marched with our marching band at Dudley Senior High School in Greensboro, North Carolina, in the Endymion Parade at Monte Gras. And um, first time I had a beer, I was 16 and a half. <laughs> only buddy. But um, I went and I drove my car from Greensboro to New Orleans, like 14 hours. I think I stayed at like uh, Days Inn or Motel 6, somewhere between uh, Atlanta and New Orleans. And drove into New Orleans and I could literally feel my hand was on the windshield because it was going into July. And I remember somebody feel the windshield had gotten like two degrees hotter. And I was like, how hot is this place in the summer? And that was where I wound up doing 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. with all the hip hop songs of the time and the Tevin Campbells coming into the studio to do the countdown with me. And I had a ball. That was uh, my first stayed there four and a half years. And, and during that period of time, uh, as most uh, radio uh, DJs, personalities, they always want to get to New York. They always think that New York is the market to be in. Did you have that, that, that dream, that desire b- back then? Didn't think it was good enough. I, I was trying, honestly, I was trying to get to Baton Rouge when New Orleans called. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, I was trying to get back 
closer to mom and dad. I was trying to get to my sister. I was trying to get to Charlotte. You know, I, I was trying to get uh, to those markets. And look, I I remember I, I didn't get the PEG job in Charlotte and I was all depressed. And then Steve Hagwood called me from WMXD in Detroit right after the holidays and asked if I'd be interested in programming in Detroit. I was like, that biggest city? You want to bring me up there? <laughs> Because Jerry Bledsoe was doing quiet stuff, and I'm like, yeah, and he passed right before he got there, unfortunately. But really, yeah, I was like, Jerry. nobody, nobody wants to be up up the big market like that. Who, 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 who made that decision? <laughs> but I learned, you know, that um, you know, work ethic, uh, you know, being a student of the industry, it, it, it will, you know, and, and just prayer, it will carry your talent further than you think it can. And mm-hmm. and it took mm-hmm. me a while to really believe that I can do it because I always looked at the people before me and I was like, wow, they were just so great at what they did, you know, and listening to the top 40 stations and and rock stations as well as urban. I was just like, wow, you know, it was a, you know, I think that New York for me, it was a pinnacle that, you know, I just, you just couldn't even see it in your sights because I think what the, the uniqueness about New York city was in other formats um, you know, Howard Stern started in numerous other places. New York was later. Mm-hmm. Um, however, urban radio trends had a tendency to start in New York City and trickle down. You talked about Frankie and you and the crew working to put on WGCI in Chicago. So, you know, the urban radio success of New York, especially with once BLS came on the scene, as an, you know, once the transition went to FM, it inspired everybody else. Like, you know, most people didn't know WJLB in Detroit, as famous as, it, as it's been in Legacy. That station didn't go FM until 1980. And that was probably wow. just about most inspired by what BLS and at the time KTU were doing. I think KISS mm-hmm. came out about 1980 or 81 or so. Skip, hold that thought right there. We, we have to take a break, as you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, that's right. And uh, But we'll be right back. And you mentioned earlier about Radio Share. So when you come back, I'm going to tell you what my share was at one time. Uh, and uh, we'll have more with uh, Mr. Skip Dillard, uh, Radio... Uh, uh, a luminary, lu- oh, I should say luminary from WBLS, but now W, well, what is it? WXBK. XBK. The block. <laughs> okay. We'll be right back. Thank you. Harlem, America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. America, where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. 
You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Well, thank you so very, very much, Kev Burr. And I want to remind everyone that you can check out some of our uh, shows that we're doing. Uh, you can check us out on Harlem America TV. And... Uh, once we do the shows here, the, of course, you know, the audio goes to Harlem America and to Voice America. But we take that video and we edit the video for Harlem America TV. So you can check us out there. Right now, our special guest is Mr. Skip Dillard. And uh, hey, Skip, I, I, you, you mentioned Radio Share. And, and I always, you know, I don't get a chance to kind of uh, blow my own horn as far as Radio Share is concerned, because I know how important it has been in radio and, and with the diaries, but now they've got the new PP, the new PP thingamajigga, PPM, what's it called, PPM? PPM, yeah, yeah. electronic so, Yeah, so that has changed how, how people uh, uh, accurately uh, uh, accumulate the numbers. But back in the, you mentioned KTU several times, uh, back in the KTU days, I was on from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and I had a 22 share. In New York City, which in is in New York City. Now, yeah. what are what are the shares in New York now? The, 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 so, if someone's got a, a a big audience, what what share would that? Uh... Don't laugh, but that would be equivalent to roughly about a six share and a point three today. Really? Correct. Point Jeez, three is the rating. Point three is the rating point. That's the percentage of the population, and your share is a percentage of just those using radio. So that wow. that's the difference between a 22 share, it would be equivalent to about a six today. Incredible. So which brings me in your mind, because you are on top of not only broadcast, but digital. Uh, how has radio changed in, in your mind? Well, it's, it's multi-platform. We pre-produce content. We do it live. We post-produce it. We kick it out on multiple platforms. So radio is radio is kind of a multi-platform entity. Uh, I think the live over the air is is still very important, still very relevant, and the largest percentage of listeners locally reaches over the air because they're in their cars. That is changing uh, because of streaming in cars, uh, things like CarPlay uh, and Android options for automotive. Uh, you also have the smart speaker revolution. Uh, that was heavily adopted, especially in when you want to talk about um, eth ethnic makeups, uh, African-Americans, uh, you know, actually led the way on smart speakers. In fact, um, you know, I'd seen some research showing about a 30 uh, percent adoption of them uh, several years ago. So, mm -hmm. you know, that is, uh, you know, streaming, calling up a station online is becoming more and more the way. Now, the good news is those things are rated uh, you know, just as much as your on-air signal and podcast also can be included if you have a show in which you're breaking out the music and putting the content onto a podcast platform that also can figure in uh, to your overall total ratings. But yeah, it's a multi-platform entity today. It's quite, you know, it's quite spread out, but it had to be because um, mobile devices and of course, uh, starting with uh, broadband and internet before 
you know, took us in a different direction than, you know, we, we had been in. When, uh, when you were at your, um, when you were at your highest point in your radio career as a DJ or a radio personality, uh, and, and you were told that, well, here's an opportunity for you to program radio, but become a full-time programmer. Was it difficult leaving your entertainment spot to become more of a, a uh, an administrator and, 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 and a programmer? I was better off than many because I remained an on-air PD uh, roughly for three more stations after I started, or two more. Um, I was offered after two years at WYLD during nights. Um, I never expected I'd be a program director in, in New Orleans, especially at the same station that I was a jock at. But they were being sold uh, interurban, which was the company that owned WYLD at the time. Uh, the late Tom Lewis, who died just a few years ago, owned the station. And he had gone bankrupt. He owned stations in, uh, I think he had AM in Savannah, Cincinnati, and owned uh, KATZ, AM and FM in St. Louis. Well, he lost the stations, and they were going to Clear Channel, but Clear Channel couldn't purchase them yet because the rules were, were yet to change, allowing you to own a certain number of FMs and AMs in the market like today. So they brought in Jim Snowden and made it Snowden Broadcasting under Jim, not so much as a front, but as a subsidiary of Clear Channel, where Clear Channel would, uh, would provide operational expenses and oversight and research, that kind of thing, business office, and it would allow other new owners to get in with their assistance. Well, um, I was at a club uh, event for the station, and one of our other DJs, I never forget, JoJo Walker grabs me. He was doing, I think I was doing afternoons. He was doing uh, mornings or, or evenings. He grabs me and says, hey, man, you, we got a new, uh, our new owners here. And I was like, what? So we walk up to the bar and this African-American man is sitting there. He was a legend in his own right. He had done mornings at KMJQ in Houston for years. And I believe it programmed uh, Magic 108 in, in St. Louis for a while, which was a massive uh, station in, in its time. And so uh, we sat down and what turned out to be a shaking his hand and, and wow, it's so good to meet you and hope I can work for you, turned into a two and a half hour conversation with drinks. So the next day uh, he calls me at the station and says, hey man, um, can you come down to the building where Clear Channel is and, and sit with me? I'll be there. So I walked down and he said, hey, I'm about to take over and come in. And I was going to fire all of you. He said, but I like you and I like the guy. <laughs> <laughs> he said, tell me who else you think should be there and I'll think about keeping them too. And, and he mentioned, he said, look, he said, I programmed for years. He said, I'll teach you what you need to know. He said, you told me you wanted to be a PD. So would you take the chance? I said, well, you know, I couldn't believe it. And, and that was how I started. So I was fortunate. I was an on-air PD um, with Jim. And when I left YLD, I was an on-air PD at MXD in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I did um, middays there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really. And then when I uh, left there and went to Buffalo, I did afternoons for six and a half years. And so I didn't have to, thankfully, come off the air. Uh, until I went to Billboard and then uh, I never went back on the air again, uh, San Francisco, um, back to Detroit and 
and then Washington, D.C. and New York, I, I, you know, have not been on air, but I've done lots of promos and voice work and some some other minor things here and there. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was a nice transition, you know. Well, you know, being a, a PD, you could have put yourself on the air anytime you wanted to, especially yeah, when you came. I'm not like that. No, I, I know. Those <laughs> I, look, I, once you get once you get working and all the things that PD has to do today, you really don't have time to be on the air and not, I'd say outside of maybe, you know, outside of the top. Once you get into the top twenty market, you 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 really have to make a choice. In, in order to be able to work with your staff, your team, mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot more sales and marketing work today and, and endless calls, meetings, Zooms and everything else. Wow. OK, so 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 Frankie Crocker today would not have been able to to be a, a, a jock and PD at the same time. No, it would have been almost impossible. Part of the reason is, is I think, the support system. Um, you know, when I came in, when Vinnie Brown had left BLS and they hired me, there was a time they had an APD, an MD, and a secretary to answer calls. Um, by the time uh, I finished programming at BLS, it was myself and Cynthia Smith, who is now the PD at BLS. That was it. And guess what? Now it's just her. <laughs> really? One person. Cheese and crackers. Wow, boy, I yeah. tell you. Well, now, now, okay, now, so speaking of WBLS, we all know that that is a heritage station here in New York, and uh, it is, um, you know, really immersed in the community. I mean, it is really ingrained in the community. You, having been a part of WBLS, uh, knowing many of the, 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 the stars and celebrities and so forth and so on, and also being really ensconced in the community. You are the perfect person for this new job that you have over at WXBK. Tell us how you actually got in there. Well, I moved, uh, you know, we had new ownership come in, uh, Media Co. And uh, a new GM to come in uh, with that changeover from Emmis that uh, decided uh, to uh, move out of the radio business and move more toward tech companies and, and other purchases. So long story short, um, they, you know, made a lot of changes. I mean, I'd have, I can't lie, sales, management, back office, a lot of people left. So they had, a, you know, kind of a major shift uh, November of uh, ooh, 20, uh, uh, 20, 2020, right? in the midst of the pandemic and uh everyone thought they were done and then the next week i get a call and they said hey we want to redefine your role um we'd like to move you to the sales marketing side and so i said wow so all these added responsibilities i said what's going to happen about programming bls as well you won't be program director anymore i was like oh so <laughs> was that a blow <laughs> yeah it was a, well it was a blow but it was something that you know i kind of knew it could happen at any time because um, you know, when, when owners come in and they come from a financial background, they look at allocation per department. Okay, there are four people in programming management. We need three. There are six people in uh, sales support, sales assistant, sales planner, sales. We need instead of uh, four there, we need three. You know, so they, they make, you know, adjustments often, you know, not just cost conscious, but they have other businesses and they say, well, this works best in here, this and there. So, you know, when they when, when they said, you know, and I think they weren't sure if I would accept, 
But when I found out Cynthia would be program director, I was like, well, that's the only thing that's making me happy about this because she, you know, she's been there. I mean, she mm -hmm. started at WLIB as a producer producing um, Malcolm X's Widow's Betty Shabazz's talk show. So mm -hmm. when I tell you, when you talk about somebody that's connected in community, I mean, I, I credit her for me making it through programming in New York for 13 years. I mean, Cynthia Smith, a hundred percent deserved to be program director. And I'm a fan of hers today, uh, you know, is. every second. I mean, she is amazing. And so, you know, and she, and, and she produces a circle of sisters. Yes, she does. So that gave me like confidence that, Hey, God is doing something here. Now, let me tell you, uh, you know, once I knew about hers, once they told me about her situation, I said, okay, uh, you know, and they were like, take a weekend to think about it. It's not, except sit down. I don't want to leave New York. And, and um, I knew that the sales, uh, learning how to understand the Miller Kaplan report, which is kind of the report card for sales. How's the market doing compared to you? How are your competition uh, competitors doing compared to you? So I knew that would be important information and knowledge. So, you know, I doubled down and studied Rhonda Castro's market manager gave me at the time he's left recently. He gave me, uh, you know, a lot of sales information. The sales managers did. Sellers took me under their wing at first. They were like, well, he's not being our sales meetings, is he? Because they thought I was going to be getting commission <laughs> off them. No, I was there kind of to assist with, uh, you know, I was community and national partnerships. So, you know, I was kind of the one that had worked with our long-term uh, nonprofit partners like the Greater Harlem Chamber of Commerce, uh, numerous other organizations to find unique revenue opportunities, on traditional revenue. Um, you know, had a chance to work closely with uh, one of your sponsors I heard earlier, Carver Bank, and learn, get to know Michael Pugh. So it was a blessing in that I really understood how the work you put into content is monetized. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I go to see my market manager for something now at Odyssey, I better understand what his dynamics are and what his limitations are. Um, I understand what compensation actually looks like, what's fair, what's out of bounds, and maybe, you know, what can be negotiated. I understand better about digital through my work because I had a chance to, uh, you know, during my last uh, year, um, you know, learning from our digital sales side, um, how uh, that money is quickly replacing a lot of the traditional revenue. And if your company doesn't have uh, those things going on, NTR, your big events, um, you have to have digital revenue opportunities. That means you need social media engagement. You need to have a website that's uh, mobile friendly and, and worth something. Um, your content has to be visualized. So video, what we're doing is as important as what's going out on your over the air signal. And just about everything that you pitch doing for your station needs a sales component to it. It's been that way, but, you know, we haven't always seen it. And, you know, something that, uh, you know, I, I was thankfully told maybe about five or six years ago was that we are all in the sales business, no matter whether right. you are the overnight jock or you are the digital content producer or you take a camera out to shoot station events. We're all in the sales business and everything we do can impact the bottom line. You're exactly right. So for our audience, break it down for us. What is going to be the difference between WXBK and WBLS? 
Sure. We're more of a coalition station. Uh, we served the sweet spot of about 1992 to 2010 when uh, New York was contributing most of the hip hop and R&B. As you know, later that shifted to places like Atlanta and Los Angeles and other places, uh, you know, it began to figure in more pro prominently, especially Atlanta, which just completely blew up since about 2010 and kind of took that mantle away after, you know, everybody from Bad Boy, beginning with Uptown Bad Boy and all the other and rock niche and, and, and you know, Rockefeller and all of that. So we represent, you know, that golden era of New York uh, you know, uh, music that was, you know, hitting not only just urban, but pop and, you know, even jumping into a little bit of the, the rock and, and other alternative sides. So, um, you know, we're different in that. We reach a few more, I think, of the English speaking Hispanics. I always joke that we'll reach the white lady that grew up in Westchester listening to her black girlfriend's playlist back in 1995. <laughs> so it's uh, definitely a little more, uh, it's a little younger. Uh, I'd say it's, we're between um, the urban stations in the market and, and also we're more rhythmic and, and we're throwback. We don't play currents, uh, you know. Um, things can change over the years. You know, you may have to do some of that, but what we did see was a, a pure lane. And, and I'd, I'd said it for years, if anybody ever focused on just those golden years of, of, of about 90, again, 1992 to uh, roughly 2010, where, you know, it, it just seemed like there was just so much, uh, you know, an unlimited amount of hits coming out of New York City. Right. Well, uh, you seem to be the right guy for the job. And uh, real quickly, because we've got only about a minute and a half left, how did you get, <laughs> how did you get Nick Cannon or <laughs> WXBK? I've, I've like known, the, the guy's got a lot of jobs. He's already he, got a lot of jobs. He's got a lot of kids. He needs a lot of jobs. <laughs> But uh, no, Nick uh, is doing his TV show in Harlem. He always had, most people don't know, but he's always had his home in New Jersey that he never sold. He always kept even, uh, you know, during the time he was, you know, married to, to, to Mariah and all that. I mean, they, you know, he was always very much a New York guy. And um, when, you know, his team approached me, we sat down and talked and, you know, we weren't sure at first and, at all. And then, uh, you know, once we saw what he wanted to do and, and, and how it could get done, we said, you know what, this is phase one of the station and, and let's let's give it a try. And, and he's been wonderful. I was with him on Tuesday and uh, last Tuesday and we had just a you know, most wonderful uh, time, uh, you know, just just sitting down and, and just uh, really getting to, you know, to know him and, and, and spend more time with him. Cause I'd always see him over the years, but it was always in passing. It was always during an event, but really being able to sit down and talk to him. And, and, you know, he is really trying to make his mark, but what I think won me over having dinner with him a few weeks back was that um, he adores radio. He absolutely loves radio and you know you think somebody who does the mass singer would be like hey i'm a tv you know you meet people they tend to become tv people once they get a bite of tv they're gone but he was like i've always wanted to, a chance to return to radio and so he's in la he's in new york city he uh, also has heard in, in louisville portland oregon and several others so he's, he's done very well with being able to to and he does mornings in some markets midday some mm. others including us so he's really um you know i met no one else with with 
uh, you know, I mean, he's got one of the hardest work ethics I've ever seen. I think Wendy Williams was probably the toughest grinder I ever met. Um, you know, he's right next to that. Well, we've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back with uh, Skip Dillard. And uh, don't forget to download Harlem America onto your cell phones. And you can also check us out on Roku, Apple TV, Android, and Amazon Fire TV. We'll be right back. I'm G. Key. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America, the home of Coca Cola Zero. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. You're listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out, check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. You mentioned uh, Michael Q., the president uh, and CEO of Carver Bank. Uh, he was on our show uh, not long ago. So I want to remind folks that if you're in business, if you're a, a black business uh, uh, owner and you want to go down and uh, see if you can, you know, do business with a wonderful bank in the community, Carver Bank. All right. So uh, Skip, tell me this. Now you've got um, some stories that you can share with us some anecdotes that you think our audience would love to hear about some of the, either some of the, the celebrities you've been involved with or even with uh, uh, WBLS here in our community. Uh, what can you share with us? Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, for me, when I, I remember the day I walked in, uh, you know, into BLS in New York and it was just such a an awe-inspiring feeling but you know for me getting to know um, Hal Jackson and actually travel with him uh, you know to one of his last talented teens when it was in Bermuda um, you really understood how people rise uh, above once what they're uh, you know put up against and you know, he was one that was turned away uh, profusely when he first tried to get into the radio doors. There were not, um, so, you know, I guess you could call black radio, uh, you know, to that extent. And so, 
you know, for him to fight it through in the mid to late forties was something that was such an inspiration. I, I got a chance to know Von Harper um, right yes. before, you know, he retired and, and, you know, hearing stories of the people he met and, you know, imagining Luther Vandross in the studio singing over his records while, you know, they're, they're <laughs> And, and so, you know, the history of, of media here is, is truly uh, amazing. And I think what really humbled me the most was, was seeing people like yourself, I Higginson and others continuing to break ground and, and you know, and, and go to do, uh, you know, so much in local media. So it was great that, you know, people just weren't in a textbook somewhere or online and, you know, on a Google search, but, you know, very active in their respective communities and still mentoring and working with others came spider web. So I think those were some, you know, most uh, enjoyable times. I've been blessed to meet um, in terms of the artist community. Uh, you know, I had never met them, but being able to see Michael Jackson in concert as a teenager was probably, as he didn't do that many tours. Um, Prince, I saw about eight or nine times in concert, including a party where I probably could have reached out and touched him, but I dare not do that because he was, he was interesting. He didn't, you didn't, you didn't bother Prince. He bothered you. If he wanted to meet you, he'd tell you that. If he didn't, you didn't go up to him. But, um, you know, from Beyonce to, uh, you know, Erica Badu, uh, from George Benson, uh, you know, to uh, Al Jarreau. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I remember he was um, with Kim one night talking because both of them have very similar styles. And, and you know, seeing them in Detroit and, and being able to uh, interact with them was, was, you know, just meant the world to me. But, um, you know, I enjoy seeing so many different artists from so many different walks of life. I had a chance to meet Sade. And, um, you know, yet there were so many, I, I missed a chance to meet the Whitney Houstons and a few others. So I've been very fortunate to, uh, you know, be able to get insight from a heavy D. I've been fortunate to, uh, you know, to have a chance to talk to Jay-Z. In fact, speak of him, I'll give, you know, one of my stories I, I love to tell. I was working at WBLK in Buffalo at the time, programming that station and on air. And we used to do the Caravana Weekend, which is, you know, one of the largest um, celebrations of Caribbean culture outside the Caribbean, if not the largest by a million people or so every year. And I remember uh, my night jock was going to check on all our parties. We had about three or four because that was a big thing. You know, before, during, and after the parade, there are all these big parties from day parties to night parties, and thousands of people everywhere. So I go to my night jock's party and very early, about 50 people there. And, you know, I, I have about three places to hit. So I said, I'll jump by there first. So um, my night jock grabs me, uh, Hooker, and says, hey, man, uh, I want you to meet this guy. Man, he's going to drop an album, and he's just incredible. He's like, uh, I mean, he's blowing up underground. Everybody's talking about him. Better. So we sit there and talk. This guy in a polo shirt and tennis shoes, and we're just chatting away, and he's by himself holding a microphone, and 50 people in the room. Nobody's paying any attention to him. And so at the end, I said, man, I like your spirit, and I really hope you make it. What's your name? So, yeah, they call me Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I had no idea it was Can't Knock the Hustle would, would drop probably about six weeks later. So I, I got it on the ground wow. floor. It was cool when he came back. I was able to remind him one day. I said, man, you know, I met you and there were 50 people in the room and nobody even came over to say hi. It was just, you know, it's it's, it's kind of weird when, when, you know, you meet people and you never know. And that's why I've always learned to treat people with, um, you know, a, a very... 
be as professional, uh, be as inviting, engaging as you can, because, you know, you don't ever know where somebody's going and probably one of the best examples. And I'll say this in rap because um, most people haven't read his book, but I recommend uh, the uh, biography uh, of uh, Jack Gibson, Jockey Jack, Uh, Jack the Rapper Gibson. His his biography is incredible. You can Google it and find it on Amazon. But anyway, uh, he talked about when he got his uh, job in Louisville at a little AM station many, many, many decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he's working and he, had, he got a gig at a skating rink when he started. And they, and they called him Jockey Jack there because he would dress up like a horse jockey. Or, oh, really? Horse rink, yeah. So he would do the skating rink, so he would DJ. So this little kid, little boy walks up, says, hey, man, can I carry your crates? And so he's just old enough to get in the ring. And he's like, oh, okay, sure. Because he knew what was up. The kid wanted to get in. Mm-hmm. So the next week, Friday night, come with his crates for the skating ring. Hey, I'm here again. So he brought him in, barely asked him his name. And so years later, uh, this is when he, I believe he was in Atlanta by then. He was having the biggest interview of his career. And he was so excited. Everybody at the station was on pins and needles. All of a sudden, the limousine pulls up and there's a mob outside. He comes in, busts in the studio and grabs Jack around the neck and hugs him to death. He said, I'm the kid that carried your crates in Louisville. Don't you remember? It was Muhammad Ali. Really? Yep. He did not. <laughs> he said he totally forgot the name Cassius because he was Cassius Clay wow. back then. He said that he had no idea that that guy would turn out to be one of the most legendary people on the face of the earth. And, and so that was a, a great example of, you know, just really embracing everyone you meet, you know. That's right. My, my mother always told me that, um, be careful because the people you meet on your way up might be the same people you meet on your way down. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, don't burn any bridges behind you. you no, know? no, no, uh, no. Wow. Uh, so, all right. Um, we're, uh, I mean, this is really great, Skip. I, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of, hey, you know, if we don't tell our own stories, who else will? And I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're able to to uh, allow you to uh, tell your story to to our audience. Uh, And um, so what do you see happening now in New York? Is there gonna be a battle between WXBK and WBLS? I mean, uh... (laughs) I'll I'll tell you, radio has changed. It's it's far more strategic and listeners, um, you know, one thing we learned about electronic measurement that, you know, radio stations were having more fun in those battles than the listeners certainly were. <laughs> um, we were having more fun on air, more fun with uh, sitting around doing crazy imaging and crazy stunts. Right. And listeners, most of the time, we realized didn't even notice. Now, they still notice when you make a major impact, but that major uh, noise you make or the impact you make is going to be felt because it's beneficial to them. So being a community stalwart, being a representative of your uh, listeners' needs and and their wants, that's going to get you farther than ever calling out another station or trying to up another station. Uh, You know, we have a lane. All the other competitors in the market have a lane. And, you know, I believe in grabbing every bit of audience I can. But, you know, from what we're seeing so far, there's a, a huge untapped lane uh, of listenership. And, you know, that's what radio is about today. It's, it's really about reaching people, connecting with them, 
and not being about our own egos and, and what we feel our station should be. You know, hey, my, one of my greatest mentors, Tony Gray, he always says, brother, you got a good CD player at home. Go use that. <laughs> But when you're working on the station, take care of your listeners, you know. But I, I used to let everybody know. Tony Gray. Got all this equipment at home. Why, why are you trying to inflict that on the radio station? Take care of your listeners. Give them what they want. And then go listen to your own stuff on your own time. So <laughs> with, with content and everything else, I'm, I'm focused on, you know, I'm a community guy. And, you know, I was in the Bronx yesterday and I'll be in Brooklyn next week for, for a meeting. But, you know, I always believe in how can I best serve uh, our audience, you know, and what, it, what are their needs? And they have a heck of a lot of needs coming out of this pandemic. It is, it's going to be a rough time back for a lot of people. Although, you know, if you watch TV, it says, Hey, we're, we've done this and unemployment's at 3.9% almost full employment. Well, you've got a lot of people that are suffering. A lot of people that are anxious oh, yes. society about coming back to the back to work. Uh, you, you know, you've got people that are afraid of commuting, uh, still afraid of COVID. People that are still grieving loved ones they've lost during the last two and a half years. So, you know, we have to be cognizant of all that and provide opportunities. We have more small business owners than we've had in, in decades that have decided to uh, jump on to the great resign and do their own thing. So, you know, we got to exactly. think about all of it. child care and, and housing, all of that figures into what we got to do. Well, Skip, we've got a hard stop in about a minute and a half. Uh, we're, we're, we're winding down and uh, uh, this has really been a wonderful uh, opportunity for you and, and, and I to, to, to chat. Don't forget to, to save me a, uh, a WXBK t-shirt. Uh, as they come in, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> I can add to my radio collection. Uh, you got and, it. And everything. So um, the other thing is you take 10 seconds, if you will, to give a word of advice to these young folks who, who would like to be and do what we do. Yeah. Um, it's about cutting through the clutter and there's more noise than at any time. What makes your style unique and the way you develop a style is, you know, I tell people read aloud to yourself, out loud, uh, the ability to project your voice and be heard is most important. And also read everything you can get your hand on, be hands on, be a student of pop culture. Uh, you know, intelligence, uh, I believe is, is a lost art today. And, <laughs> and those that are extremely highly intelligent uh, are the ones that win. It's not the loudest voice anymore. It's those that truly, uh, you know, cannot be outworked and I believe cannot be outread. Get down. All right. All right. Well, thank you so very, very much for coming to Harlem, America. And of course, uh, you know, anything we can do to help, uh, we, we certainly like to. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. And uh, don't forget, if you, uh, you know, miss some of our uh, radio podcasts, you can always check them out uh, on our website, www.harlemamerica.com and check out our Harlem America TV episodes as well. Thank you so very, very much. Have a great day and a better one tomorrow. And don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you walked a mile in his or her shoes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Oh. 
Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh, oh.